Two Sundays ago, Fred Daly shared the Word of God with us, and a wonderful message on not being afraid. And he also shared that uh, he and his wife were going down California, and they were going to uh, be doing a retreat down there. And we prayed for them then. We prayed for them last week while they were down there. And so I think it's time for a report. Fred, if you would just, uh, don't worry, I gave them advance notice. What, three minutes ago? Yeah. (laughs) I just wanted to let you know the weekend was a fantastic weekend, thanks to your prayers and all of your support. Um, All of the logistics went without any kind of disruption or flaw. Everything went very smoothly. Was so gracious. Um, by the way, if you never have been down to Coronado in San Diego, you gotta go. It's God was very much blessing in being able to go down and enjoy the the time down there with the other couple that we minister with. But um, we had five couples that came because I think we had three others on the books. One of them had COVID, so they didn't come. But um, the other couples were not able to make it either. But it was a fantastic time. Just, um, we had a lot of fun. Uh, it was good to see couples. We had a full range of age group. We had one couple that had just gotten married in January. And then we had another, uh, all the way up to a couple that had been married for 39 years, I think they said. Mm-hmm. And so we had a wide range of uh, time that they had been married. And so they were able to kind of speak into each other's lives and into each other's marriages. And it was just a lot of fun being mm-hmm. with them. For those couples that are down there to be able to take the word that we gave them. Um, and it is by no means by our strength, but as God has said very clearly in his word, that his word goes out and will not return void. And so as his word goes out, we pray that it would make changes in their lives and encourage them towards holiness and that they would mm. want to share that with other couples. And so that's the work that's going on down there. Now we're praying for a retreat. sign up yet, so we don't know if we'll be able to go back down to Coronado. So, uh, but uh, we'll see how that goes. So we do cover your prayers for continuation of the work down there with the couples that showed up. So thank you so much. I'm sorry. Oh, yes, yes. Sorry. While I'm here, I must say, uh, please keep praying for our October retreat. Uh, We are full up and we're ready to go for that. We're still kind of finishing up all the logistics, but uh, we're going to be serving with the retreat coming up where we still have an opening so if you if you want to come have some fun you've got to come out in march because we're going to have a lot of fun and it's close by so it's easy to get to it's just a lot of fun so thank you so much for your prayers and all of your support thank you fred and if you don't want to wait till march there's openings in coronado okay Take a little trip down to California. That's not sounding too bad. Great. Well, for those of you who are new with us today, we're doing a study on understanding the church. And today we get to the doing part. We looked at what it is to be, and now we want to look at what is a church to do. Now, when we think about churches, Quite often, we think about programs. We think about events. We we think about leaders. 
And so when I just said we're going to look at what is the church to do, you might have automatically thought about a program, perhaps an evangelism program or a Christian education program in the church. But I want to go much deeper today than just programs or activities. I want to look at the root of what the church is supposed to be doing. Now, before we get there, I think we need to look at a little bit at some wrong views of the church. What does the wor world think of when they hear the word church? Perhaps some think, well, you know, the, the church is a nice place to meet people. You know, it's kind of a notch above the local bar, you know. Or perhaps it's, it's a place I go so maybe my life will go better if I go to church. Yeah, maybe it'll help my business, kind of like Rotary Club, you know, make contacts with other people. Some might think of the church as a place to go to make their wife happy. I've met a few like that. Some think of church maybe as, as a place to watch a good show. You know, it's kind of like going to the theater. On the negative side, some might think of the church as a place that's full of judgmental old people who are uncomfortable with tattoos and body piercings. Well, where do people get these ideas? Where do they get this concept of, of what, you know, their idea of what church is supposed to be? Some of them get it from their past experience. Now, one of the things I've noticed that the first church that a person ever goes to, they, they generally tend to think that's what all churches are supposed to be like. Okay? Uh, especially if they got saved in that church. Okay? It, it, there's a, a sentimental, uh, nostalgic feeling, kind of like memories of Christmas as a child. You know, that's, that's what church is supposed to be like. Others get their view of the church from, from pop culture, uh, from television shows, maybe like Seventh Heaven. You've seen that one maybe, uh, about a minister and his family. Or perhaps from The Simpsons with Reverend Lovejoy and, and the First Church of Springfield. Some people maybe get their idea of what church is like from watching movies. Maybe like The Da Vinci Code. You know, where it's full of deluded believers and diabolical bishops. Most often in movies and in television, churches and Christians are pictured as judgmental hypocrites or unthinking extremists. They're not pictured in a good light. Some people get their idea of what the church is, is supposed to be and from, from watching the news. Now, church scandals tend to make headlines because they draw viewers. And the more viewers, the more money the network's going to make. Okay? Selling advertisement. So that's a natural for them. 
Some people view their, the church from per projections of their own personal needs and their wants. In every church that I have ever pastored, there have been people who wanted to change the church's focus to fit some soapbox that they, they were standing upon. You know, the, the, they were not bad things in themselves, but by changing the focus of the church, we weren't keeping the main thing the main thing. And we have to be careful to guard that. Some people want the church to be like something else. For instance, some people want the church to be like a rock concert. Okay? Sit in rows, watch a performance, lights and smoke and flames and all sorts of things going on, you know. You know and you leave with a good feeling. Now, many, many years ago, I went to a... Blue Ridge Quartet concert, okay? I don't know if you know anything about Blue Ridge Quartet, but they are old-time, you know, gospel quartet music, which I love, okay? I'll, I'll confess that. Um, and, and they knew how to hype up the audience. You know, they get to the end, you know, and then the drum would keep drumming, you know, and then they start in again. And, you know, they got everybody all hyped up and all excited. You know, and I was leaving. I overheard one lady says, boy, couldn't you just feel the spirit there? I thought, no, what you felt was hype. <sighs> okay, excitement. Some people want the church. That's what they want in a church. Some people want the church to be like a school. You know, they, they want to fill their heads with facts. It's kind of like he who dies with the most Bible facts in his head wins. Some people want the church to be like a club where you have meetings and you do things and you make friends and you socialize with one another. Some people want the church to be like a store. You know, large churches, they're the, the Costco's, you know. They've got everything. Small churches, like us, we're the mini-marts, okay? You know, you get more personal service, but fewer products. Some people want the church to be like a hospital. You know, when you can't handle life, your problems and your issues, you know, that, that's when you go to church, and up to a point, all those things are true, but just lacking. You know, there's they're just something missing. It's just part of the truth. Let me give you another place people get the wrong idea of what church is supposed to be. All right, hold on to your seats. People get wrong ideas of what the church is supposed to be from the Bible. Now, you heard me correctly. I said from the Bible. You go, how can that be possible that you get the wrong idea of what church is supposed to be from the Bible? Well, it kind of works out this way. People say, well, you know, the apostles did this and this and that, so we have to do this and this. And that. 
let me give you some scripture verses that if we're going to take that approach as to what a church is supposed to do, we're going to have some problems. Okay? Uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth. Well, how can you possibly get anything wrong from there? Well, somebody came along and said, you notice it says to the church of God in Corinth. Therefore, there can only be one true church in any city. Okay. The, 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 and in fact, this movement has a name. It's called the One City, One Church Movement. And they claimed that it was a biblical mandate that there only be one real church in a city. And they called themselves the church. So there was the church of Port Orchard and the church of Bremerton and so on. Well, that's not what that verse is saying, but they got it from Scripture. Let's look at another one. Acts 2.46 says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Okay, is this what we're supposed to be doing? Is this a mandate for the church? Well, I can go along with the breaking bread in their homes and eating together. Okay, that's, that's really good. But if we're going to take this as a mandate of what the church is supposed to do, then how often are we supposed to meet? Every day. Every day. Okay, just because they met every day, that's not an imperative. And again, I'm going to use one of my, my phrases that I use quite often. A narrative is not an imperative. Okay? Because they did it back then doesn't mean we have to do it now. We can't ignore the context and the culture of the Bible and just pull a verse out and says, they did it, therefore we have to do it. Look at another verse, Titus chapter 1, verse 5. Titus 1.5 says, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Paul is telling Titus that he is to appoint elders in every town. Now, there's a very large church in California where the pastor handpicks the elders of the church. And from Titus 1.5, he says this is the only way, biblically, to pick elders. The pastor must appoint them himself. You can't, you can't vote. You can't, you know, anything else. The pastor handpicks the elders. Well, of course, he's got a bunch of elders that are rubber stamps for what he wants to do because he handpicks the elders. One more, I think. Yeah. One more, Acts 20, verse 7. It says, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept talking until midnight. 
what is it saying I need to do? <laughs> Keep preaching till midnight, you know. A narrative is not an imperative. By the way, it says they gathered on the first day of the week. So therefore, some people say the only day the church can get together and worship is on the first day of the week. No, he's not saying that. We can gather any day we want. Culture often dictates the form and structure of what happens when we get together at church. And we have to be careful that we don't get so caught up in outward things that we forget the inward purpose of what it is God has called us to. Last year, I preached a sermon, I'm sure you remember it well, on what is the heart of what God wants for us. And when you strip off the cultural ornaments and get to the heart of Christianity, it comes down to two things. The two things are love God, love others. That is what it really comes down to. Matthew 22, 37 to 39, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the heart of what God wants for us. And if this is the heart of what God wants for us, it has to be the heart of what God wants for the church. When we talk about what a church is to do, it, it, there are three dimensions that are tied into it. First, it's the, the upward, inward, outward dimensions. Uh, upward, love God. Loving the unsaved, that's the outward dimension of the church. And loving other believers is, is the inward dimension. And I want to focus on that inward dimension today. What, what it is that we are supposed to be doing as a church for one another. As I was researching this sermon, I, I did a little count in my Bible. Over a dozen times... In Scripture, the Bible tells us to love one another. Over a dozen times. Why so many times? Why wouldn't one be enough? Well, I think for several reasons. Number one, because we're so forgetful. Okay, We need to be reminded. Number two is because it is so hard. It really is. And number three is because of how important it is. Now, I gave you an assignment last Sunday. Do you remember the assignment? Uh, okay, well, I'm, I'm sure you wrote an essay on it. Uh, the, the question had something to do, what can the church only do when it's gathered together? Does anybody at all remember that? Well, let's think about it right now then, okay? What can the church only do when it's gathered together? What's that? Fellowship. Fellowship. Good. What else? Serving one another. 
Good. Good. You see, we can worship at home. It doesn't replace corporate worship, but we can worship at home. We can pray at home. But there are things that we can only do at church. There's a phrase in the Bible I, I, we're going to track a little bit this morning. It's called one anothering. One anothering. In John chapter 13, verse 35, it says, By this shall all men know you are my disciples if you love one another. Did you realize God gave permission for the unsaved to judge us? He did. And what is the criteria whereby they are judging us? Whether or not we love one another. Our credibility to the world is tied up in our loving one another. In other words, the world can look right at us and can judge us based upon whether they see us loving one another. That's the only criteria I could find in the Bible. The only criteria for the unsaved world to judge whether or not we're for real or not. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. The Apostle Paul says there should not be any reason to even bring this up. Okay? Because it's a given. This is the basic teaching of Jesus. It's foundational. It's the beginning of what Christianity is all about. Paul says this is so foundational that I shouldn't even need to bring this up. But you love one another. In 1 Peter 1.22 says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. It talks here that our love is to be sincere, not fake. The, 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 the word sincere means to take the mask off. Okay? To let people see the real you. Uh, I went to a, a conference, a business conference once on sales. And they were telling you how we can be better salesmen and saleswomen. And one of the things they said is if you want to make a sale, you have to be sincere. And if you can fake sincerity, you've got it made. <laughs> okay, fake Sincerity, those two doesn't seem like they would go together. Our love is to be sincere. It's not putting on a mask on Sunday when we come together. Our love is to be deep, not a shallow, not a surface love for one another, but a truly deep love for one another. And then it says our love is to be from the heart. In Romans chapter 13, verse 8, says, Let no debt remain outstanding 
except to continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Well, we covered this when we were doing that series on understanding the Bible, that the Mosaic law has been replaced by the law of love. And if we love, we don't need laws. I do not need a law that says I should not beat up my wife. Okay, why? Because I love her. The last thing in the world I would want to do would be to harm her. I don't need that law because love is what keeps me going. The church should be known for one thing above all others, and that is love. Unfortunately, that's not what the church is known for. A lot of people have an us-them attitude. You know, we're the church and they out there, you know, they're, they're the enemy. That's true even amongst Christians. You know, my dear old grandmother, she believed that there was a special section of heaven for Baptists. And if a Presbyterian got in, they were on the fringes out there, you know, somewhere else. Love one another. We should be devoted to one another. Uh, Love is a debt that's never paid in full. In Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Though the word devoted here is a word that is quite often used in the Greek as the feeling of a parent towards a child. Um, it, it has the idea of commitment to it. You're, you're committed to the well-being and the care and the nourishing and the safety of your child. That's what he says our attitude towards one another should be. We should be committed to them. Love each other like they're a member of the family. Honor them above yourself. The the word honor means to esteem of great value. Do you have anything in your home that you esteem of great value? Okay. I'm not going to try to guess what it is, but, you know, What do you do? You protect it. You care for it. You cherish it. You know, that's what the church is supposed to be like. Uh, The verb here is the idea of outdo yourself in honoring. Don't just do the bare necessities, but just outdo yourself in loving one another. In Galatians 5.13, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. That word serve here is actually the word slave. Become a slave to one another. Now it says we're free in Christ. Yeah, we are now free to serve one another. It's a paradox of Christianity. That we are both free and slaves. Okay? 
it was not true before. We were just slaves. Paul says you were slaves of sin. But now we have freedom to become slaves, free to humbly serve one another. Ephesians 4.2, be completely humble and gentle and be patient, bearing with one another in love. The word humble here, in the humiliation of mind, it speaks of a mindset. Have a mindset of loving one another. Be gentle. Now, gentle does not mean weak. Gentle and meek are kind of related. And, and gentle and meek does not equal weak. But rather, it has the idea of power under control. You have now God's power. Now put that under control to serve one another, to love one another. It says, be patient. Don't be quick to give up on someone. Love hangs in there. Okay? The, the church should be known for being humble and gentle and hanging in there in love for one another. In Ephesians 4.32, it says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ in Christ God forgave you. There seems to be a universal lack of forgiveness in today's culture. In today's cancel culture, people write off others for just the slightest thing. That there can be no compassion. There can be no kindness. Paul says, remember how much God has forgiven you. Okay. Can we outdo God's forgiveness? No, we can't. Compared to what he has forgiven me, anything you could do to me has to be minor at the best. The church should be known for its forgiveness. Romans 12, verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Here's a warning against pride. And three times in the Bible, we are told God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. So we are not to think ourselves better than anyone else. Now, you might have a different gift, but that doesn't make you better. I may stand up here in front on Sunday morning while you're sitting there. That doesn't make me any better. Be, beware of pride. Beware of pride because it attacks our love. Romans 14, 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Don't judge one another. Don't judge one another. Where did COVID come from? 
Well, we could say China, I suppose. Well, if it didn't come from the devil, the devil sure used it to hurt the church. 150 years ago, every major denomination in Christianity in America split. Every single denomination split. You know what it split over? The issue of slavery. Did you know that both sides of the issue used scripture to support their views? From my from what I've read on the internet, just about every church in America has become divided over the issue of COVID. Why? Because Christians are judging other Christians. Okay? And God says, don't judge. Yes, I have a different view from maybe what you have. I'm not to judge you. You're not to judge me. That's the work of Satan. Stop passing judgment on one another. Let's be more concerned that we don't cause a stumbling block for somebody. Romans 15, 7. Accept one another. Then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. We are admonished to accept one another. The, the word accept means to, to welcome or admit or to receive to yourself. We are to accept one another as Christ accepted us. How did he accept us? Just as we were. God didn't insist that we change, that we become a better person or become reformed before we could come to him. I can't help but think, when I saw this verse, of the church I grew up in, 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 in Ballard, in Seattle area, Scandinavian church. We were the only Germans there. And after every sermon, an invitation was given. And the invitation was given for, if you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've never done that before, come on down. Or if, you know, if there's something in your life that you've been struggling with, come on down. Okay, so there was kind of a broad invitation for people to come down forward. And then we sang a song. And the song we sang was, Just As I Am. Remember, remember that song? Yeah, okay. If nobody, there's, there's five verses to it, by the way. If nobody came forward after the fifth verse, what'd we do? We started over again. After the next five verses, if nobody came forward, we started over again. Pretty soon people got the idea, we're going to be here all day if somebody doesn't come forward. Yeah, I'm going to come forward, you know, just so we can end this thing. The last verse says, just as I am, thou wilt receive, wilt welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve. Because thy promise I believe, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. That's how he accepted us. 
That is how we are to accept one another. In 2 Corinthians 13, 12, it says, Greet one another with a holy kiss. I threw that one in just for fun. I remember seeing that as a junior high boy going up to our youth director and saying, hey, we need to obey this command, you know. And he says the important word here is holy, not kiss. Um, but the idea behind the verse is this. Greet one another warmly. Now, I mentioned I come from German stock. Very stoic German stock. You know, not much emotion. When dad would come home from work, you know, hello, father, how was your day at work? You know, mother, thank you for cooking dinner. It was very nice, you know. Well, the first church I became a, a, a senior pastor at was in Wayne, New Jersey, and it was a church made up of Italians. I want to tell you, that's a different culture than I grew up in. You know, I didn't need to preach, greet one another with a holy kiss to them. It was a full body hug, you know, and kiss on both cheeks. And it was, it was like a love fest going to church on Sunday. I liked it. I liked it. Greet one another warmly. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just in fact you are doing. You know, the world is great at tearing people down. Have you noticed that? Go on Facebook. Look at all the trolls on there. Doesn't matter what it is. You know, they will rip people apart. Our society today is super sensitive and claims to be offended by just about anything. In fact, they look for things to become offended by. Being offended is in today. Being cool was in when I was a kid. That's not true anymore. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be sensitive about the feelings of others. On our part, we need to. But our focus needs to be on encouraging one another and building each other up. Church should be a safe place for people to come. Okay. One of my churches that I pastored, not my church, one of the churches I pastored, we had a young lady who got up and, and sang special music. And, and while she was singing, she kind of moved around a little bit, you know. After service, one of the dear saints came up to her. And instead of complimenting her, instead of saying, thank you for ministry, her comment was, you shouldn't move around so much when you sing. She never sang in church again. Never. We should be in the business of encouraging one another, building up one another. If we put our energies into doing that, we're not going to have time to look for things that offend us. One last 
verse, Hebrews 10.24, says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. The, the word spur here, literally translated, means stir the pot. Okay? Stir the pot. Keep things moving. Okay? So they don't burn in the pot. We are to provoke, to stimulate, stir the pot towards encouraging people towards love and good deeds. I hope this sermon today is going to stir the pot towards love and good deeds. And by the way, good deeds are godly deeds, those things that promote God's kingdom. There's a lot of good things that we could be doing that don't promote God's kingdom. Okay, We have to be careful that we don't get busy doing good things, that we forget to do great things. And the great things are the things that we do for God. It's not saying we need to be philanthropists, but rather love others in a way that will draw them to Christ. So, in conclusion, when you think about what the church should be doing, perhaps you thought of things like evangelism and making disciples. And those were not wrong answers. Yes, the church should be doing those things. However, if we aren't loving one another, how are we going to love the lost enough to share the gospel with them? If we aren't loving one another, how are we going to disciple other Christians? Do you know what the church has traditionally done when Christians have failed to love each other? They've started programs and committees to do what Christians should be doing. People aren't winning, aren't going out, they don't love the lost, they aren't doing evangelism, so what are we going to do? We're going to start an evangelism committee, and, and they're the ones who are going to do the evangelism in the church. We're, we're, we're going to, people aren't going and, and, and caring for one another. So what are we going to do? We're going to start a visitation committee so they will go out and take care of people. People aren't greeting one another. They just come to church and, and go and sit down and they walk out the door at the end. What are we going to do? We're going to have greeters. Okay, Every single Christian here today should be a greeter. Now, we need someone to hand out bulletins. So don't forget to sign the sheet back there, okay? I think 90% of all the programs and committees in the church would not be needed if we loved one another as Christ has commanded us to do. Let's pray. I want to give you a moment for you to talk to God not out loud, just in your own heart. I have been convicted by this sermon. Okay? How much do I truly love other Christians? Maybe you've been convicted too. Maybe you need to say to God today, God, I need to love people more. And love is a fruit of the Spirit. It's not something I can just drum up within me in my own strength, in my own energy. Lord, give me more love for people. 
I'll close in a moment. You just talk to God to whatever he laid on your heart. And I will too. Lord, I thank you for your church. Oh, Father, I cannot imagine what being a Christian would be like if we did not have the church. And Father, as we gather as the church, help us to understand what it is the church does. And what it does is that it loves one another sincerely, honestly. It serves one another, encourages one another. Father, may, may not a discouraging word pass our lips today. May we only encourage and build up. May we forgive as we have been forgiven. May we receive others as we have been received by you. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. And Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit that speaks to hearts from the word. I pray in Christ's name, amen.